again here for the last time for now, hopefully soon again, but Michael Glover Smith. Jake, you. thank you for having me again for the fourth time. Yeah. Yeah, you've been so honored. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're here to talk about your most recent film, Relative. Uh, we just yeah, kind of covered your experience with Broadway in Chicago, which was uh, a shift down, as you said, in terms of budget and scope, and this is more feels at more of a similar budget level to something like Mercury Retrograde. Yes. Uh, so can you yeah, just kind of bring us up to speed from finishing Rendezvous to getting this project off the ground? Yeah, I mean, again, as soon as I finished Rendezvous, I started thinking about the kind of thing I wanted to do next. Um, I actually wrote a couple of scripts, uh, one of which was for a horror film, believe it or not. Um, and then I also wrote a script about an actress, and then I wrote a script about a police officer. <laughs> and I wasn't really sure which one of those I, I wanted to do. And then one day it came to me, I said I should make a film about a family. Um, and then as soon as I uh, had that idea, I became obsessed with it. You know, I thought, oh, a family, a family reunion, people coming together who live in different parts of the country. Um, I started to get excited by it and then I started to write it and um, you know and, and it, that became the one and so is this the case between the other films of yours as well uh, where say for after uh, Mercury it was like specifically Rendezvous was the next script that you wrote and you were ready to go after Cool Apocalypse it was Mercury uh, or were there other films other scripts in between oh there were other scripts okay. in between yeah you know, I think I wrote three other features. Wow. Yeah. And is there, was, uh, with the idea of family, of course, was there, I, I'm trying to ask, is there any way to put into words like what it was that made you excited about this idea rather than the other? It, was it in terms of like being able to actually get it done? Or You know what it is? It's sometimes I'll write a whole script and for some reason I don't feel even though I finish it, it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel. Um, there's something that feels off about it, and and I just don't feel like I can go ahead. And I and and I and then sometimes I'll rework it and I'll get it to a place where I'm happy with it. But um, with with relative it was like i had a good feeling from the get-go and that never that never waned that good feeling i had yeah do you feel like you usually have that when you start a script like when you get to the point of actually writing out the screenplay like outlining and all that i usually have the idea for the whole film like i usually wait until i know you know I where where I know what the structure is going to be, you know, um, before I start writing, and in the case of relative, again, it, it's kind of a mirror of Mercury and retrograde in a lot of ways because they're they're both weekend films, so they both have that built-in three-act structure. I thought, oh, okay, this is instead of people going away, this is people coming home. And Friday is Act One. We introduce the characters and their conflicts. And, you know, Saturday is Act Two. That's the climax. That's the big party. That's why everyone's here. And then Sunday, everybody goes back home. And that's the end. Do you find yourself searching for those structures uh, when you start writing? Or is that something where you kind of see that framework? I don't I don't search for it I mean that's that's the kind of structure that exists in life right you know it's like you know a tr uh, you know a trip somewhere that that's like a built-in structure um, a weekend get together that's a built-in structure there is a logical beginning middle and end so yeah I don't try to force it you know and then you know the other thing is like whatever drama there is you don't want that to be resolved at the end so some people want more resolution when they watch my films. And many people have told me that they think someone's going to die at the end of Relative and they're always surprised when it doesn't happen. Um, 
you know, there's still just a lot of unanswered questions. And the reason why it ends is because everyone goes home. So we don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. And what uh, films, if any, did you have in mind uh, when you were getting into writing started? Well, the the big one, I you know what I should do is create a I should create an official watch list. Yes, I saw yeah. that Greta, Greta Gerwig created a Barbie watch list, so I'm gonna do this. Yeah. Uh, I'll do it on Letterboxd. Um, the big ones for me were um, a Christmas Tale by Arnaud de Plechen. Have you seen it? I have. I've seen it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, in fact, you know, a big part of me instantly knew that I could not make this a christmas movie simply because he did it uh he did it as well as it can be done and then um i also thought of um fassbender's uh, eight hours don't make a day which is a great uh, television mini series he made in the 70s um, in germany um which is about a family and there's a great party scene in eight hours don't make a day and so that you know that was I had these twin impulses, make a film about a family reunion, but also make a party scene. Because I thought it would be fun to have, you know, 10 plus characters on screen at the same time. I, I really never had more than six in yeah. Mercury. So uh, having, th there is one scene where there are 12 people on screen at the same time. And that was fun to do. Um, other movies were Late Spring by Ozu. Um, very specifically, I wanted to make a film about the heartbreak of having an empty nest. And so that, of course, came in handy. Um, Henry Gamble's birthday party, again, uh, you know, really good use of a single location for a party sequence with family and friends. Um, oh, and How Green Was My Valley, John Ford. I mean, again, f talk about family, um, you know, uh, Ozu's movie Late Spring is about father-daughter, but um, How Green Was My Valley is about the parents and the children and, uh, you know, the four sons and the daughter and, and then the, you know, the kids that are resentful of the parents. And, <laughs> and so you have the writing process. When did you start kind of formulating the family relationships? Uh, what, was, what about each character was kind of catching your attention? Well, I wanted to um, make a film about conflict between parents and children, and I wanted it to be, you know, different than my own experience because I'm from the South, and I thought, let's make it about Chicago. And also, my parents, you know, were conservative when I was growing up, like a lot of, uh, you know, parents in Charlotte, North Carolina in the 1980s. So for me, it was, I just thought, oh, let's just flip that around entirely because if this is Chicago, it would make more sense if the parents were liberal. And now, like, my, the kids in my film are not, I mean, Benji, Rod, you know, uh, Yvonne, and Norma are not, like, Trumpers. <laughs> but th there's also this sense that they, like, didn't, they weren't interested in the things that their parents were interested in, which I think is very common. A lot of it, yeah. yeah, a lot of it. You know, again, not necessarily the specifics, but just like the dynamics in general yeah. are very close to me. Uh, but some of the specifics are, uh, you know, some of them are. Like um, the thing I always say is, you know, my dad and his brother do call each other fat boy. And so I put that in there because, you know, when you take things from life that are that like absurd, um, it gives gives your film verisimilitude, right? Because you're like, the audience is like, oh, that's so weird that they would both call each other the same nickname. <laughs> um, but that's what happens in real life. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. must be some history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And yeah. you feel it just makes it feel more real. You yeah. feel the sh you feel the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, how long did this writing process take? Because we did your first time working. This was the longest, yeah. by far the longest. Um, when I started, it was in early 2019. So 
Rendezvous was still on the festival circuit. And I actually asked um, a guy who was a film critic at the time to help me write the first draft. Um, and then that didn't really work out. Um, uh, even though, you know, he was a fine writer, it's just like I realized very early on he, he was bringing something else to it that I didn't want. Um, and he, you know, what I really wanted was someone to color in the lines. Like I knew exactly, I, I outlined it. This was, you know, I basically wrote a treatment where it was bullet pointed, where the bullet, the bullet points described what happened in every scene. And then in addition to that, I wrote the first 20 plus pages and kind of sent it to my friend and said, you know, you know, let's, why don't you tackle some of these scenes? And, and he was really wanting to kind of make additions and deletions and change things around dramatically. And, uh, and I, then I, you know, told him it wasn't working. So, uh, so I finished the first draft on my own. And then for the next two years, I rewrote it you know, 20, I rewrote 20 plus drafts over the next two years. So it changed a lot. And then of course, you know, COVID happened. So we, we actually delayed shooting a whole year. We were going to shoot in the spring of 2020. We were all, we had cast the entire film. We were crewed up. We had all of our locations and then we had to shut down. And then initially, you know, I thought, oh, we'll just shoot in three months. But of course, it didn't go away, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, people started working and uh, making indie films, and you know, SAG came up with their protocols about you need to have a health supervisor on set, and everybody has to be masked, and you need to get tested every three days. And once that all sort of came in place, then I contacted everybody and I said, let's shoot for next spring, and then that's what we did. But anyway, to make a long story short that extra year was when I really rewrote the script quite heavily, you know, and the funny thing was it got shorter over time. Like I cut a lot out, which was great. How, yeah, how long, uh, I guess how much? I believe it was 120 pages at one point at its longest. And then the final shooting script was 94. Wow. So yeah, we cut, I cut a lot out. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it's uh, interesting flip side of the coin. consider the specifics as you did with the campaign. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, when I was writing it, Rendezvous was on the festival circuit. And I, I always say, it, you know, it was amazing. Um, I met Elizabeth Stam, who plays Hecla in Relative, at, a, at the George Lindsay Film Festival, oh, wow. where Rendezvous was playing. And she was promoting a film, she, her first film uh, that she acted in, which was called Bleed American. And so, you know, that was one of those happy, you know, accidents uh, where you meet somebody at a festival and then they become a collaborator but it was like a long time went by it was like over two years between when i met her and said hey we should work together and then it was like two plus years later it, it finally happened it was that her characters that you've written uh, oh so here's the other interesting thing when i no i had not i, I can't i i i believe i had started writing it but I don't know if her character had yet made an entrance. When I met her, I was like, oh, this is who this, the, the girlfriend needs to be. It needs to be her. And I, her part got a lot bigger. Once I knew that Liz was going to play it, I was like, oh. You know, I, I think originally the whole – before I met Liz, I knew that I wanted Benji to – you know, the, the kid who's graduating from college, that I wanted him to leave his own party. That was kind of the first idea I had. Like, how funny would it be if there was a 22-year-old kid who had a graduation party and he has family come in from out of town and then he sneaks away to go on a date with a girl he met the night before because he doesn't care about his family. Like, that was, that was kind of the original idea. And then, um, and then I didn't think she, he was going to bring her back to the party. And then after I met Liz, I was like, oh, wow, she could be this, you know, really um, eccentric and, uh, you know, uh, charismatic actress. And she could want to go back to the party with them. <laughs> like that would make it even more interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the part was very much tailored to her. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's amazing. In it. Yeah. She's a fucking character. Yeah, she's 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 gonna be the main character in my next film. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's it's, it's another spinoff. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so great. Uh, well, I am curious about the writing part of it because uh, you talk about wanting someone else to color it in, but you've written all the other screenplays. Yeah. Well, I've always wanted to work with somebody else because it seems like it would be less tedious. <laughs> You know, and it's but but it's hard because when you're a director, you know, you you're going to be the one who vetoes every single decision. And by the way, I did write a script not long ago called Promenade. I wanted to do that next after Relative because it's really a big script. It's 173 pages. And I actually did write it with my buddy Aaron, who produced Relative. He's, he's a very good director in his own right very good writer director and um that's the first time where i really successfully com you know collaborated with another writer but even then you know there was one point where i would kind of, he, he would kind of you know argue with me about how he liked something that he did better than what i did and i kind of had to say look i really love what you're doing you know you're so good and this is great because you're helping me but just so you know you know, if I direct this, I'm going to have to, it's going to be my film. Like, because at a certain point, you know, there are things I'm going to change when I'm on set where I'm talking to the actors and I'm going to be like, no, don't say that, say this instead. And, uh, and, and, you know, when collaborating with another writer, it's kind of like, you can't tell me that your line is better than my line. Uh, like, let's fix that now. Because otherwise, I'm going to fix it on set, you yeah. know. So, um, and then he completely got that. He was like, yeah, you're right. You're the director. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were able to work it out. Yeah, probably helpful working with another director, uh, someone who understands. Exactly. Director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that would be a case that you, I think, approached him with that idea to help write. So yeah. It's like stemming from. Uh, the, the promenade script. Yeah, yeah, I asked him if he would be interested. And yeah. he was. Okay. Yeah, it is just interesting as uh, like writer director, uh, the kind of point where I, writing is very lonely. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, depending on how long it takes, especially in those couple of years, it's uh, can add up. Or yeah, exactly. Helps have some help on that, but um, and then yeah, so for the fundraising for this one, uh, it was New City who helped with most of it, correct? Um, well, they they came on board actually in post-production oh, okay. yeah yeah so um we I, I actually talked to them early on before covid mm. and they read the script and they liked it and you know they wanted to see a budget and we had conversations and um and then covid happened and i don't think they were ready to commit understandably and um but uh but i got some other uh investors on board and once we had enough to get through shooting i said we're gonna do this because we had so much momentum um i was really happy with the synergy between the cast and the crew like we had you know even though even though back when we made mercury you know when we were done with that i said i'm never gonna i'm never gonna go into post without having all the funds i need you know because it because it the process dragged on for so long but with relative it was like i had wendy roby and uh francis guinan had agreed to play the parents and they were excited and we were coming out of covid and most people hadn't worked in a year yeah. and um so i told everybody you know we'll raise the rest in post mm -hmm. so what happened was uh i thought we were gonna have to uh do crowdfunding again i said you know um we'll just show all these images from the film and uh maybe even show clips yeah. you know people people are going to see how great wendy roby is in this and the whole cast and you know that'll make it easier um <clears throat> and then before that happened i thought well i should probably circle back to chicago film project which is the film production arm of new city and they asked to see a cut of the film and i showed it to them you know, we, we really didn't pay anybody in post, um, but my editor, Eric, I think he cut the whole thing on deferred pay. 
Like he did the whole rough cut and then I showed that to New City and it was pretty much, you know, as simple as them watching it and, you know, they were like, let's let's do business. Like we like this, you know, put our logo at the top of the film and, you know, we'll invest the rest. Yeah. Do you think it was the crowdfunding, the possible screen sharing of the crowdfunding for Rendezvous that gave you the confidence that, that to have that as like a worst case? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt. You, yeah. Felt confident. You I felt confident. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. And so Eric obviously was brought on from uh, Rendezvous uh, as your editor. Yeah. How did you go about the crew on this one? Um, so Olivia was suggested to me by Claire Cooney. And um, she had shot a couple of shorts for Claire. And I really liked the style of those films. And um, so I had a coffee meeting with her and uh, we seemed to hit it off. And so, uh, you know, I asked her and she said, yeah. 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 So just like going on a date. Yeah. Making sure you can have a conversation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Uh, and how big was the rest of the crew, I imagine? Um, the crew. rest of the crew, you know, so so Olivia, she was young. She was 25, you know, just a young female genius, yeah. fresh out of Columbia College. And uh, she would have shot it when she was 24 if, you know, she graduated, I think, when she was 22. And um, but but she would really, really is the kind of person who that 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 rare film student who just is. Uh, working immediately as soon as they graduate, you know, like doing big work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was I was lucky to get her when I did. Um, and so she brought on her crew. You know, she brought on the gaffer and the AC and the grip. And, and some of those positions rotated, mm-hmm. you know, because not everyone's available every day. Yeah. So she rotated people in and out. Um, and then... Uh, I used Colin, the same sound guy from he w- he had worked on Rendezvous and Cool Apocalypse, so I brought him back and uh, we hired um, a co- so the costume designer uh, is a woman named Armani Barone. She was the production manager of Rendezvous in Chicago, but production design is what she really wanted wants to do and she's she's an, she can do anything she's an artist and um so i kind of asked her if she wanted to work on it she said yes and her costume ideas were phenomenal um it's really the best costumed film i've made even though a lot of the costumes came from the actors you know existing wardrobes armani was very thorough about you know, communicating with every actor. She, she collected images of, uh, that she thought were what each character would wear. She emailed them to the actors and said, this is, these are my ideas about, you know, style inspo for your character. Do you have anything like this? And then they would go through their wardrobes, take pictures of things that were similar and send them to her. So, and, and then in some instances, of course, she would actually buy things that if we did, if it wasn't close enough. So there's a lot of cool costumes and the costumes in um, relative, I think reveal a lot about the characters and the relationships between the characters. Um, like Benji and his dad kind of match in a way, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and then, so I loved working with Armani on costumes and then Steph McDonald did the production design she had also worked on the camera crew of uh, of Rendezvous, but she kind of really likes she she had become a production designer. Again, she can kind of do anything. So um, I think she told me that she wanted to do production design. So I, you know, she was the first person I thought of. Yeah, so and that was pretty much the whole crew, I guess. Yeah, was that a similar size to uh, Mercury uh, in terms of? Yeah, it was about the same. Yeah. You know, it's like fairly bare bones, but also, you know, you had everything you needed. Yeah, at some point it would just be people. Yeah, and, and production assistants, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. You know, they always come in handy. Yeah, and then the casting, uh, again, yeah, Mindy Roby uh, is another uh, actor you're familiar with and a fan of. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
Claire was the casting director, but Claire, uh, I don't think, has seen Twin Peaks or the people under the stairs. So she, you know, she's not a horror movie person, uh, which is ironic because she just directed a horror film. <laughs> but, um, but I don't think Claire was really familiar with Wendy. So, uh, but I was gung ho because I didn't realize Wendy lived in Chicago uh, until an actor mentioned it. And um, as soon as I found that out, she was the one to play the mom. You know, I wanted an I wanted an actress in that age range who was phenomenal, and you know, Wendy is certainly phenomenal. Yeah. So so it was kind of a you know some of the people that and Wendy and Fran the parents did not audition. Everybody else auditioned, including Liz, who I wrote the part for. No, Claire did not audition because I also wrote the role of Yvonne for Claire, and I think Claire is also really really strong in relative. Was this the first time you definitely did that, writing first, like, actors? Um, no, I mean, uh, Rendezvous in Chicago was, because I was writing for Claire and Kevin in okay. that opening scene. Mm -hmm. And then filling out the rest. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so everybody else auditioned, um, aside from the parents and Claire, and, and some of the people who, came, who auditioned were people that I asked to audition like Emily Lape, who plays Norma, the older sister. She's a friend of mine, um, and I'm a fan of hers as an actress and also as a filmmaker. She made Mercy's Girl, and uh, I really wanted to work with her. She actually had told me she had retired from acting. She was like, I'm not doing it again. I hate it. I hate auditioning. And I said, well, you know, maybe you'll come out of retirement for me because I, I, I want to, you know, work with you. And so she read the script, and she you know, very graciously agreed to yeah. to read for the part of uh, Norma. Um, and then, uh, you know, Liz, I asked to audition, um, and she did, and she was, of course, perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and then everybody else, I think, came through Claire. Okay. Yeah. And how involved are you with uh, the audition side for characters that you're not uh, maybe sure of, like with Claire? Is it at the point now that it's been a few movies with Claire that you yeah, I mean, you know, her, her, she also, cat, you know, she, she did casting, you know, before I think I met her. She was kind of, I think she did that in the theater world. And also, as somebody who acted in Chicago for years and was part of the Steppenwolf school and all that, it's like she kind of knows everybody. So it really helps to know someone who um, can put the word out and who can invite actors to audition but for some characters um i think she did do more of a an open casting call um f although the first round it was all self-tapes but for some of the characters like for lucia the actress who was going to play her wife i think she uh you know kind of placed an ad and fielded you know tapes uh, but yeah, I was very, I was very involved. Um, even though, of course, I trust Claire, and I'm always excited to see who she's gonna suggest and who she's gonna bring. Um, you know, we, we, I, I communicate a lot with her. Like we, you know, what, what I like to do is watch the tapes and then kind of rank <laughs> all of the actors uh, from best to worst. You know, I'll kind of. Or, or what I'll really do is put them in groups. It's like the yes pile, the no pile, and the maybe pile. And uh, and then I do that alone, and then I, and then she and I will meet and we'll compare notes. And you know what's funny? It's like we have very similar taste. Yeah, like like Melissa Dupre who played her wife. She was like top of the list for both of us. Yeah. And you think that's uh, part of having such a long collaboration history at this point? Just a nice melding of artistic. Yeah, it's bo both. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, so how long was production for this film? Uh, the actual shooting. Yes. Was um, we shot for ten days. Uh, it, it was eleven days if you count. Again, another half day situation. The footage that's on the the television, uh, which mm -hmm. is like a commercial for a. Uh, phone phone sex um, uh, or actually no it's not a commercial for phone sex it's a, it's 
it's a cam girl website yeah. mm-hmm. and um although it looks like a, more like a phone sex commercial like that was my friend Haley who played the inappropriate babysitter in <laughs> in uh in rendezvous uh, we shot that first that was a and once we had that footage in the in the can you know then the rest of the film was done in like a 10-day block wow and then i guess yeah shot listing again for this one did you come in with uh, a certain visual uh like kind of thematic idea you wanted to capture that was uh, similar different to your previous films uh like visually how did you approach this film um well I, I wasn't really thinking about how it would be similar or different. I mean, you know, every every project tells you how to shoot it, you know, and it's the script that tells you how to shoot it, and it's the actors who tell you how to shoot them. And then, of course, when you work with a different DP, the conversations always have a different, um, you know, different character to them. So um, Olivia, like all of my DPs, had a lot of good ideas, and she was very, uh, you know, she she her ideas were so good that I ended up trusting her more than I had ever trusted any DP up until that point, because I, I have you know as brilliant as Jason Chu and Alex Halstead are, who I had worked with before, I did, you know, tell them no. You know, and I do think there were times where I would ask them to do something and they didn't fully understand why. And that's not that's not a criticism at all. It's not. But, you know, that's common. You know, um, they they worked hard and they cared about what they were doing. But with Olivia, it was it was more it was more effortless. It was like, look, here's what I want to do. And she just seemed to instinctively grasp the idea and then when she would come to me with ideas they were more what i wanted to do than what i had come up with does that make sense like for instance um the other day we were talking about that 360 degree pan that was her idea you know i originally wanted to do something that was like half of that i said let's pan over to the window and stop and then have the characters come back and she said no let's go all the way around mm. and that's the way it should be done yeah because that was yeah, also used as the transition right because they leave you're showing time pass yeah. so what i wanted to do actually i wanted to do more than just stop on the window i wanted to show the light change outside of the window and i didn't know how that was going to happen yeah. like you know olivia you can make <laughs> Put put a you know cl- a light out there and close the barn doors or something, and she was like, because uh, I th- I thought that would convey the idea that the sun had moved across the sky for a few hours, yeah. um, and but I think her idea accomplishes the same thing but in a more poetic way, mm-hmm. right? It's like no, you just keep spinning and then when you come back, you stop where you started and that's the exact moment where everyone comes back in. And that's that's the same idea, but better. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's such a great shot and such a great way to instead of just like cutting away to uh, a clock or something. Yeah, it shows faster time visually. Exactly. And was there were there films you looked at together or gave to Olivia's reference points? I know that I did show her a couple scenes, but this was back in 2019, and by, and this woman has the worst memory of anyone I've ever known, because I remember there was a time when we were shooting something and I referenced a Christmas tale, and I was like, remember when I showed you that? She had no clue what I was talking about. By the way, she can also never remember anyone's name. She was calling all of the characters by the wrong names on set. <laughs> That's that's something else I remember very vividly. Um, so I did show her a few things. I know I showed her a Christmas tale. I probably also showed her some Brisson. That's very common for me to bust out A Man Escaped. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't know if I. You know, I I, I think there was probably less of that of kind of looking at at movies for references there's probably less of that in relative than in any of my previous films because yeah it's less of let's 
like these are the kind of shots exactly and we're kind of uh is it more of a feeling thing for you like yeah yeah and i mean even when you're referencing something it's never about making an homage yeah. it's always about like you're doing it because it it works mm -hmm. it, it it gives you the feeling that you want yeah. um and ideally sharing reference points where you can refer to exactly yeah. yeah yeah it's it's just a, it's a shorthand way of communicating more than anything yeah uh and so what was there anything that you found surprising or challenging rewarding about this shoot opposed to other films mm. um the biggest challenge of course was covid i mean it i can't even begin to tell you how difficult that was and yet it also was something that we overcame without a problem. You know, I was very concerned before shooting began that someone was going to test negative because some of these actors, Claire flew in from L.A. Our DP, Olivia, flew in from L.A. Melissa Dupre, who plays Lucia, flew in from L.A. And they, their flights were booked. And, you know, we paid for their flights, by the way. But their flights were scheduled around a 10-day shoot with one day off. So had anyone tested negative, it would have shut the whole production down, possibly for good. I mean, I don't know. I probably would have found a way to finish it, you know, even if it was just me shooting on a cell phone, you know, because I have... <laughs> you know, I have the drive to, to get it done by any means necessary, but it really would have been a disaster yeah. in a way that it wouldn't be for a bigger, you know, budget film. And that's kind of the irony of, you know, having to follow all the protocols is like it's those are designed for big films and TV shows. They're not designed for micro budget films. But fortunately, it all worked out. And, you know, I think everyone was very vigilant about not going out, you know, uh, b before shooting began or during the shoot. Everybody was masked up. And, um, and fortunately, you know, we were able to get it done in the time that we needed. Yeah. And did that, did you find that affecting any of the day to day things? Yeah, I mean, it slowed everything down because, um, you know, literally everybody had to be masked uh, unless it was an actor being in front of a camera. And so the actors had to wear face shields because they had makeup on and they couldn't wear a mask. So, you know, um, just coordinating that was difficult, you know. Um, when I say we got tested every three days, that means we were getting tested during the shoot. So actors literally had to leave, not actors, everybody, everybody had to leave the set. You know, we'd be shooting sometimes a 12 hour day. Everyone had to leave at some point, get tested and come back, you know? Yeah. yeah. Not fun. No. And is, do you feel like you were prepared for that or you were surprised? Oh yeah. We were totally prepared. Yeah. That, that's the whole thing. After, you know, not being able to shoot for a year, everybody was psyched to do it. Then I found, and, and by the way, everybody got vaccinated too. This was so June, I think the vaccinations became widely available in April, if I'm not mistaken. So everybody got vaccinated. And then um, we were all excited because remember, we all thought it was over. We're like, everyone's vaxxed, there's no problem. And then we found out, no, you're gonna have to do all the same things you would have done, even if you had made this a year ago before the vaccines were available. So. To make a long story short, um, uh, I almost postponed again. Yeah. I thought, you know, this is too hard because when you have a 12-hour day and, you know, we've already created the schedule and there's no way we're going to have enough time for everyone to go to Walgreens, stick a swab up their nose, mm -hmm. and then come back to the set. But then I thought about it and I just was brainstorming. I said, there has to be a way. You know, I even begged the SAG representative. I'm like, is there any way we can get around this? I mean, I go, you know, 
we have one day off and people can get tested on their day off, but you're saying we have to do this on a couple of other day, days. And they said, yeah, you have to do it. So I thought, wait a minute, what if, you know, actors have a lot of downtime on set. I thought, what if, you know, so they're no, that's no problem for them. They'll, you know, the AD will just tell them when they can schedule their appointments for based on when they're not needed. And then I thought for everybody else, what we'll do is we'll have a COVID driver. They'll be a, we'll hire a production assistant. They're only gonna come to set on those two days where everyone has to get tested. And their job will be literally to drive people from the set to Walgreens and back. And that's what happened and it worked. And so it was like the only people who didn't get tested during the shoot were the people who were needed during the entire I mean when I say during the shoot I mean the only people everybody got tested on those days but the, the there were some people who had to get tested on their lunch break and that was me the sound guy the cinematographer gal and the AD you know because we're always busy the whole time so for those two days the COVID driver drove us during lunch. Everybody else was able to do it during the actual shoot. Yeah, throughout the day. Yeah, throughout the day. Yeah, it's interesting because it is such a big part of filmmaking is the problem solving. Yeah. Especially on low budget films. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like figuring figuring things out. Yeah, and it's a big problem. <laughs> is it, do you know, is it, are those protections like still in place? No, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. post-production is that, obviously, but... Yeah. Uh, well, they, they were gone before the strike. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess, yeah, by that point, you don't really know. Were you, you were considering pushing back another year? Yeah, I was started? considering pushing back another year, but what I think what it really was was talking to Wendy, and she told me how excited she was about doing it in June. And I thought, if she is excited about doing it, you know, let's do it now. It's now or never. I thought... If we wait, everybody wants to come back, and if we wait another year, people are going to be a year older, and it might be a different film. Yeah. If we do it now, it can still be the same film that I wanted it to be two years ago. Yeah. And do you risk like losing funding at that point if you're pushing back another year, or is that well, no, the money was in the bank. Okay. You know, yeah, the money was in the bank um, from from when we had tried to shoot in 2021. It just sat there. Okay. It just sat there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, yeah, it's just such an interesting, like, once in a lifetime, hopefully, problem of, <laughs> yeah. of like, trying to schedule all that. Uh, but you felt like once it got down to the actual actions of being on set with, like, directing actors, directing the crew, it felt a little more normal, or was that also. Honestly, Jake, it made the film better, in my opinion, because I think, again, we bonded because of it you know you're in a bubble it's like literally nobody is allowed to visit the set unless they've been tested twice before coming to set that was the other crazy thing i mean i think it's maybe kind of boring to talk about this but it, it was insane you had to be tested three days before you showed up on set for the first time and then you had to be tested for a second time the day before you showed up so the only people who were allowed on set were people who fit that criteria. And then it was every three days after that. So, um, yeah, we, we bonded. I mean, you know, you hear people talk about film family. Um, I had always felt that a little bit. And with Relative, which is very fitting because it's about a family, it was like that was when we were all, you know, we, we all, uh, it couldn't have been, we couldn't have been any closer. And so, yeah, people were staying in hotels, kind of bubbled up. Uh, like no, people stayed at home. Okay. Um, people stayed at home, but but it's like once you were on set, nobody could enter that zone. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Including my editor Eric, because he uh, once again he would show up every day to pick up the footage, but he'd have to be like across the street yeah. smoking a cigarette, yeah. <laughs> and someone would have to walk the the you know the, the drive over to him. Yeah. Yeah. This is the case again when he was editing during yeah. production. Yeah, and he cut it even quicker 
than he did the, this time he had an assembly he had a full assembly like you know days later it was yeah. like a week later and full and assembly were you again like taking breaks at one of your parts in between or just uh, after that I'm oh yeah oh yeah no this really funny thing happened where um there's a you know dance sequence um where all the characters are dancing at a at the party and uh we shot that on the first day and so it was a it was a big first day and then on the second day we went out for drinks afterwards because hb ward who plays uncle joe he he only shot the first two days and then he was done we did the party first and so we went out and had a drink um at a bar in rogers park close to the set and eric had sent me the the dancing sequence which he had cut to the song and i showed it to everybody (laughs) and you know they say you're not supposed to do that they say especially the actors they say never show the actors their performance because it makes them self-conscious and then it might change what they do and they might try and direct themselves but i mean I didn't care. I was excited, and uh, it looked great. Yeah, you know, it sounded great, and I, I, you know, I knew it would boost the morale. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, yeah. being able to see that process because yeah. you can get lost in the weeds. Yeah, on set for sure. Exactly. And is that something you found uh, you've been able to learn from, or is it more for you that encouragement of like just seeing those edits throughout the shoot of being like, oh, maybe I can do this differently than the next day? Um, it it's never. It's. It's never caused me to change my mind about what I'm doing, you know. And I, and I think Eric um, is cognizant of that. I mean, he's only, he's not going to show me anything that might be problematic. Yeah. It's like here's a fun, here's a fun moment, mm-hmm. you know. It's more like that. Or here's a still okay. that might amuse you. Yeah. It's more like that. Okay, I see. Yeah. Instead of like kind of game film, almost, yeah. Of like as you go, it can definitely be probably a bit overwhelming. Yeah. I am, I'm curious, do you find yourself watching films while you're in production on one? Like, No, I'm always too tired. Yeah. You know, every time it's like, uh, it's like, you know, I get up early in the morning to go to set and I come home and I'm just done. Even even talking about having a drink after the second night, that was very unusual. <laughs> that it was like it was basically a rap party for you know for HB, um, uh, but but uh, yeah no, it's all only after production is wrapped will I watch another movie. Yeah, yeah, I found that it just happened. The film that we did, there was like one night we ended early and we all went to a movie box to go see something. I just could not stop being like. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't enjoy it, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like I could not get into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we were not the only people that were there, so I, I can only imagine that's that takes a lot out of you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so uh yeah, finishing up the assembly uh for the picture of this one, how long did the rest of the post production uh, how much did how many cuts did you have to film for? Uh, um but by the time we got to the final cut you know some time went by because um even though it was very close you know his first rough cut was i believe let me think about this if i I can get it right it's a hundred was it a hundred and it's like a hundred and two minutes maybe and then the final 104 minutes maybe and then the final film was 94 minutes without credits 97 with credits so we cut probably 18 minutes out of the film out of the rough cut but it was a tight rough cut you know it was like a lot of what we cut was the beginnings and endings of scenes um and you know there's a lot of scenes of people driving up to a house and people walking from a car to a door and people walking through a door and hugging someone and so yeah it's like how much of this do we need and how much do we and of course some people say you don't need any of it (laughs) they want you to kind of cut to the to the you know to the juicy stuff but in a film that's about a family reunion i don't know like you need that first shot of the daughter 
pulling the car up to the house. Like you need to see that in full uh, because there's, there is an emotion there, even though you don't see her face closely. It's done in a, in a, uh, in a long shot. Um, you need to feel it. You need to sit with it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing about, you know, when you, when you ask for feedback, you have to learn. This is another thing I think that a director has to learn over time is who do you listen to? Who do you say yes to? Who do you say no to? If you said yes to everybody, you know, your movie would be cut to nothing because <laughs> everyone has an opinion about what you don't need. Um, and I, I generally believe that if you get the same note from multiple people and you know that that, that they're saying that independently of one another, they're general, generally right. So, um, so yeah, the, the cutting went on, I would say, for a couple months in the summertime. And there, was, there were a couple of problematic sequences. You know, like there was, um, we actually had a dream scene that stayed in it for months. It was a nightmare sequence. And uh, my producer, Aaron, and I loved it. And everybody else had a problem with it because it was, it was black and white and it was kind of done in an experimental style. And therefore, again, a stylistic rupture from the rest of the film. And uh, it got to the point where um, everyone had an idea about how to fix it, but all of their ideas were different. And we tried it a million different ways. And eventually I said, just cut it. And we did. Yeah. And was that the one whole scene that you just took out? Or was the rest more? That was the one whole scene I cut, yeah. Which is like half a day of shooting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. It is more for you, like once you're getting that note a few times, that you're ready to make that call. Like if something. Yeah, some some things. Call. Sometimes when you're cutting something, you have to live with it being shorter and shorter, and you have to kind of get used to it. You have to get used to the idea of it not being there by degrees. Mm -hmm. I, I I told you that's kind of what happened with the landlord scene in Cool Apocalypse, yeah. like. It got shorter and shorter and shorter, and then eventually you realize, wait, it doesn't need to be there at all. Mm -hmm. But you can't come to that realization right away. You have to kind of, you know, you got to spend time watching it over and over again. And yeah, so I'm curious too. This is kind of related to the other films as well. But is there a point? Is it like when you agree with Eric, or just something again, your intuition, you know, where you can finally stop editing and say this movie's done? We're not going to edit because you theoretically could edit. You can always edit forever. It's amazing how you could tinker forever. And, but you know what? You can also mix the sound forever and you can fuck around with the color forever, the color grading. So yeah, I mean, there's a famous quote by Fincher, you know, films aren't finished, they're abandoned. And that's very, very true. So where was that point? For, was there a point for you on this one? Well, you know, there was a point where we had, before we had cut the dream scene, where I said that picture was locked, you know, <laughs> that's the other funny thing is when you say picture's locked and then, you know, a month later, <laughs> you re-edit it. <laughs> so yeah, that happened on okay, this yeah. film. Um, even though the editing process for the most part was smooth, there were two scenes that gave us a problem. The dream scene was one, and then another one was, believe it or not, this you know the simplest scene. It was it was um, Rod, the older brother, watching television, mm -hmm. because we shot a lot of footage, and we tried to kind of use it all. And there was a thing where he's, you know, he's pushing buttons on a remote control. And so we tried to cut it in a way where you would see what he was. Every time he pushed a button on the remote control, you would see the change on the television screen. And I remember one day we just went down this rabbit hole of trying to make everything. There were a lot of cuts. And then at a certain point, it was probably Eric who had the idea of like, wait, let's go back to the basics and let's 
let's simplify everything and let's just use a few of these shots. And, uh, and that was the right answer. But, you know, part of the problem is, again, we, that was one of the very few sequences where we shot more than we needed. You know, we, for what, I don't, I don't even remember why, but I remember getting more angles than I needed. And then we were trying to use them all. So, you know, when you give yourself too many options, that's when you end up going down those rabbit holes. Same thing with the dream sequence. We were shooting it in a really loose way. We just, you know, like we're letting the camera roll forever and, you know, do it over, do it over again. Shoot her feet this time, shoot her face this time. And, you know, it's like you end up with a million feet of footage and, uh, and then you just want to play with it forever. And then, you, you know, in the end you realize, wait, I don't even need this. So I don't know, for me, having a, that's why having the shot list is good. And that's why um, not getting more than you need is good. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, helpful for the editor, too. Like it's helpful for the editor, yeah. big time. Because uh, you have to go into so much to even play around with. And that's right. They, they work really well. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, so uh, fascinating. Um, I think it's just like, once, with like writing, too, you can ask the same question. Of, yeah. Like, you could keep re revising and. Yeah. Time on the screen to do a bunch of that. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious too. After that point, I want to make sure we have time for a clip after the fact of the distribution uh, strategy. Yeah. In this film, uh, just kind of how you approach again, like the festivals and heading into how you want to distribute. Well, I, this is where I was very lucky that Chicago Film Project was my, you know, um, distribution partner for the film because they have a lot of relationships with theater owners and also festivals. So the process of getting this movie out into the world was them using the context that, contacts that they had and then me using the contacts that I had. And between the two of us, we were able to make sure that it was more widely seen than anything I've ever done. You know, this movie played for 14 months. There were 80, there were over 80, you know, theatrical screenings. Most of those were in commercial theaters. Um, there were, you know, again, maybe about a dozen festival screenings. Um, some festivals showed it twice, but most of that was, you know, just playing in theaters. And I know you talked about before the kind of approach of expanding outward from Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what um, that's what Chicago Film Project calls the atomic model, which is like start local and then expand outward. And I, you know, we started off that way, and then I think we kind of um, deviated from the model. So it was like our our you know first real theatrical screenings. We had one at the. We, ha we actually had four at the Siskel, and then we had one at the Music Box. And we called that the joint, you know, local premiere. I think the Music Box screened on a Thursday night, and then um, again the next night at the Siskel on a Friday. And that was great because, um, you know, the whole cast was there for both shows. Yeah. And there were, like, VIP tickets where you could, you know, go to a party afterwards with the cast and have a drink. So it really made it an occasion. And then, it, and then after that Friday night screening, there were three more screenings at the Siskel. So um, that was really, really great. And by the way, we had, we had played a, uh, several festivals prior to that. I'm not including that in this discussion. Um, and then afterwards, we expanded by playing theaters in the suburbs we played a lot of theaters in the suburbs. Um, in fact, most of the most of our Chicago area screenings were in the burbs, not in the city. Like Naperville, we played for I think we played for three weeks in Naperville. Like the Hollywood Palm Cinema gave us a two week run, and then they extended it for a third week. So that was crazy, yeah. you know. Um, and then we played the Hollywood Boulevard Cinema, which is in some suburb I can't remember the name of. I believe it begins with a W. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, you know, that was great because, uh, 
you know, I, I think a lot of the people who came to those screenings had heard about it playing in the city because we got a lot of press. You know, we had been reviewed by um, Richard Roper in the Sun-Times. He gave us a very nice review. And there had been, a lot, you know, a lot of other reviews. So, there, you know, Chicago is huge and the suburbs are huge. And yet, you know, people who live in the burbs are aware of what's happening in the city. So I think it is a good model. And um, we also played Wilmette um, at the great Wilmette Theater. I think they gave us, they originally, I think we're going to give us like two screenings, but they, it did so well, then they gave us a few more. So that was really cool. And, um, and then, you know, we expanded throughout the Midwest. So we played in Milwaukee at the Avalon Atmospheric Theater. They gave us a week-long screening or a week-long run, which was great. I, I drove up to Milwaukee twice to do Q&As. And, um, and then we screened in Indianapolis, uh, Studio Movie Grill. So that was kind of the beginning of this atomic release model. Um, but then... At a certain point, we just started playing, you know, wherever we could get booked. So it didn't happen in, like, you know, we didn't roll out in waves across the country, but we ended up more like hopscotching around um, because that was just the, the easiest way to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like you're, you're, you're emailing all these theaters and all these places and, um, you know, some people get back to you and some people don't. And, and then you get these really good opportunities where, you know, it's like we, um, the American Cinematheque in L.A. programmed us yeah. in October yeah. of 21. And that was, you know, one of the greatest weekends of my life was flying out there for two shows. Yeah. It, it's really interesting to me. So I think outside of especially like festival level, the standard of rollout. Uh, I mean, did you ever consider doing yeah well i can't talk too much about this okay. because we are in the we're, we're negotiating the streaming rights okay. with a distributor so um in the I, I will say in the past chicago film project has they produced i think three movies before mine and some of the films that they have put out have been self-distributed, like what you're talking about. And then others they have, they have you know, licensed to distributors. Okay. So that does remain an option. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, I, you know, I, I hope it'll be available to stream soon because our last... Uh, theatrical screening was at the Alamo Draft House in April, which was great, and I I thought that was going to be the last one, and it it might be, but if it's going to wait, if 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 it's not going to be available to stream, I might try and find <laughs> I might try and find another theater to show it. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, again, similar to writing at the Bacon Park, were you deciding this is a good place to stop? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I was getting tired of promoting it because <clears throat> when I say it played 80 plus times, I was there for more than half of those shows. I went to 40 plus screenings. It played in 17 states plus Ontario, Canada, and I went to most of those places. You know, I flew there, you know, and uh, there were some places it wasn't, you know, really feasible for me to go. And also, I, I have a job. You know, I have multiple jobs. So it's – but uh, I know that as the director, if a theater wants me to do a Q&A, they're going to sell more tickets if I'm there. Um, and not because, you know, anybody knows who I am, but because uh, a director Q&A is a selling point for a lot of theaters. You know, everybody likes a good Q&A regardless of who it is so so i flew around to a lot of places and um you know we're, we're talking earlier this year i was in uh i went to minneapolis parkway theater amazing experience um i went to santa fe new mexico the jean cocteau cinema i went to fort collins colorado and 
you know, uh, that's exhausting when you're flying somewhere for the weekend and, you know, you're 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 paying your own way. It becomes a question of like, OK, do I know anyone in this town? <laughs> can I can anyone let me crash on their couch? Um, so it's a lot of fun, but it's also work. You know, it's work. It's not all play. So um, but it was an amazing experience because I had never done something that had played so widely and uh for so long you know we grossed i believe over twenty six thousand dollars theatrically um you know during those screenings and um of course i want that to last as long as it possibly can you know we i i think we could have continued to play theatrically but you just at a certain point i said look we shot this in summer of 21. It's now summer of 23. And I need to make another movie. Like I need to move on. I need to put this one to bed. And uh, I'll feel like it's really been put to bed when it's available to stream. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully that's soon. Yeah. I'd love to see that again. Uh, absolutely. Well, oh, you know, I can send you a link if you really <laughs> want to. <laughs> yeah, uh, William, I just can thank you so much. This was great. You know, I, I, uh, I've done a lot of interviews and some of them are not fun, but this was a pleasure, which is why I did it with you four times. And, uh, you know, best of luck with your future interviews. Uh, you have a good format here and uh, I'm really, you know, interested to follow along and see where you go. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Take care.